This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Beach Body On Demand. Are you trying to lose weight or get ready for that upcoming vacation? Well, now you can access hundreds of workouts on your devices for free. These workouts are from programs like P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, Pio, and more. Just text the word Bad Christian to 303030 for your free access to this brand new platform. Again, just text Bad Christian, all one word, to 303030 today. All right, today's show is also sponsored by NatureBox. With over 100 delicious options to choose from, NatureBox delivers high-quality, healthy snacks right to your door. Head over to naturebox.com slash badchristian today and receive, check this out, three free snacks with your first order. That's naturebox.com slash badchristian for three free snacks with your first order. And today's show is finally sponsored by Wink. Wink offers wine that is personalized to your palate and delivered right to your door. Wink is offering our listeners $20 off right now when you go to trywink.com slash badchristian. They'll even cover shipping. That's $20 off plus complimentary shipping when you go to trywink.com slash badchristian. All right, fellas, y'all ready to go? I'm ready to go. Joey Svensson, you ready to go? You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Yes, sir. Sailing, take me away to where I'm going to be. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. We haven't been syncing up too well. We have not. We have not been syncing up well. It's like I go, I start with a direction, and then you change it. Like I was going like tough hip hop, like electronic, huh. and then you went like, huh. I don't know, pop country huh. or something. Huh. But anyway, huh, huh, that's a huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, today, uh, go ahead. Are we, are we not yeah. syncing up even with our talking? Uh, I guess this not. podcast is over. This, yeah. this podcast is over. Damn it. We had a this good ep- run. This episode or the whole thing? No, the whole thing, of course. We can't sync up. First of all, the beatboxing with the singing, totally wrong. You were you said you were going hip-hop, hardcore, electronic, and then you said I was singing, and then we both tried to talk at the same time, which never happens. I don't think you there's were. ever been an episode where we've tried to talk at the same time or talk over each other. That has not happened ever once in the history of Bad Christian Podcast. Wow. This, right. this, sound, this you know, sounds you know, like... Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? This sounds like something like maybe my wife would say, like making a huge proclamation about our marriage because oh, of one. Hang tiny on a second, thing. guys. I've, there was a problem. I had the sample rate set wrong. Toby was on forty-eight kilohertz, and Joey, you were on forty-four point one. Fixed it. You're, you're in sync now. Don't worry about it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> it was a technical wow. issue. You're gonna be fine. I was wondering why Joey sounded like a different octave than I was. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, so we are heading out on uh, on the road. You can come see us. You might can even come see us uh, very soon, this week, right? Uh, with Emory. We're going to be doing Emory Acoustic Shows, and we're even doing audio feed with Matt and Toby, mm-hmm. and that's going to be good. I was practicing the songs today, Matt, by the way, and uh, I'm kind of excited about getting to play them, And uh, but I had to go back to the old bus and uh, you know the broken down bus mm-hmm. at yeah, the at I the storage anyway. facility, and get get your keyboard out. Thank you. And uh, it was just sad because I, I love the bus so much. Like it's it feels weird. Like is that a 
Joe, have you ever loved a vehicle or anything like that you owned and you like when it got messed up or whatever, you were really sad? Like seeing the bus, like I I even checked the oil and the oil looked good, man. (laughs) 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 Like I walked through and kind of, I kind of reminisced about this and that. I was like, this is so sad to me. And I I know it's just a vehicle and I know the memories are made with humans, Mm -hmm. but the bus allowed all that. And I just, I actually really was sad today going through it. Like, Joey, have you ever experienced anything like that with a car? Or uh, I don't know. What do you like? A what is it? What are the pastors every do? Like, single day, every day. <laughs> what, what are you, are you talking, talking about? about? I mean, I can, uh, I, I can like walk into a room that we had a good memory <laughs> the previous <laughs> night and be like, oh man, that time is over. <laughs> I have a more distinct feeling about the bus. When we got on the new bus and we're checking it out and stuff like that, I feel I felt this distinct feeling like I was cheating, like it was my mistress. Right. Like, like the old, you know, like I got a new girl or something. I, it's very I funny so you said that. so much into that old bus. <laughs> when, I was, when I walked into the bus, I was like, this bus is so much better than that new one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually re- resented the new bus a little bit because it works and the other one didn't. So I don't know. We're still trying to figure out how we're going to afford a new bus and how Emory's going to tour in the future and all that stuff. We'll, we'll keep you updated on all this news. But we are going out on a, an acoustic run. And we're actually taking my van, my Toyota Sienna. I got it in good shape, and, and we're going to be driving in that. But we're also going to be Matt and Toby. Those those are the Emory shows, the acoustic. We're going to be playing Indianapolis, Detroit, and mm-hmm. Chicago. But in, wedged right in the middle is Audio Feed. If you hadn't got your Audio Feed tickets yet, you can get them. Matt, where can they get their Audio Feed? BadChristianDay.com. You'll be That's entered right, to because win there's a, a bad Christian guitar uh, from That's us. That's exactly yeah, we're, right. We're playing Bad Christian Podcast, Matt and Toby, and Lowercase Noises all on the same day there on that stage. It's going to be so, so very good. So I'm excited to get to play some of the new Matt and Toby songs. And I got your keyboard. But here's one thing. Okay, besides reminiscing, kind of being sad, here's what really pissed me off. Somewhere, I don't know if it was in the bus or in the trees, but a tick got on me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I literally, I, I, I did a Facebook post about it, but I actually really hate ticks. Like, I just think they are just awful. They're terrible. They carry disease. Like, I've had, like, uh, our good friend Tara at, at Seacoast, I mean, she got Lyme disease from a tick. Like, and it's serious. Like, I mean, this lady works her tail off and is like one of the nicest, hardest working people i know and like it just has been devastating to her system her body her life mm-hmm. tim ferris got lyme disease i mean it's just unbelievable and it really did scare me now i constantly because i had this one tick on me and it hadn't latched on yet so i don't think i had a bite or anything yet i luckily i called it i just felt it crawling in my leg hair and i was like how in the hell did this thing get in here but i now i can't stop thinking about it like if i feel anything i go oh is that is, is there one did i miss one is there two? <laughs> oh, i know the and, phantom and, and, yeah, that's I know. Bad, yeah. And is it is uh are ticks worse in certain places like Tennessee? Seems like they yeah, just, like you were bad, here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got two while you were here. Yeah, had two you? crawling on me last time I was at your place, my friends. But uh, are ticks yeah. bad in Seattle? No, is it, we, is it, we don't have them. Seattle has almost no bugs. Like for instance, in Seattle, there's no screened porches because you don't need one. It's pretty nice actually. That is so crazy. Like mosquitoes here are just horrific too. Like mosquitoes and ticks. I don't know. Like, what was the idea behind them? Like, is it does it prove that there is no God, or does Definitely. it prove that God's cruel? Like, what what does it prove, Joey? Pastor Joey, like bad things like that. Like, do you a tick? What does it? What's the good in it? Where can is you know God or see? God is cruel? Is your only two choices? Uh, it means that either God is not all loving or He's not all powerful, but He mm. can't be both. 
Like, do you think like when God Which redeems I don't the world? That, by the way, when when God redeems the world and makes it better, do you think there'll be ticks? Yeah, like, but they'll be, they be? Su- yeah, they'll be super happy ticks. They'll like make they'll still suck be- your blood. Nope, they'll make beautiful noises and they'll eat plants. Like they'll make the most beautiful noises ever, and they'll eat plants. And then instead of that gray kind of inflated color, it'll turn into like sparkly, uh, flowery. That's kind of that's the that's kind of fucked up for plants though. Oh, the plants don't care because they're going to be singing along, and no, they're going to be, be screaming. Kind of, no, it'll be they kind say, of they, they they actually have done tests now where plants actually react to being eaten negatively. Nope. And also, not, you know what else I don't like either? I don't I don't like that idea in heaven that no everybody just eats plants. Like that doesn't sound that fun. <laughs> Is that the yeah, idea? It gonna be like, are, are the vegans gonna be <laughs> up in heaven going, that. Told you Wait, I told I'm you. not aware of that scripture is a vegetarian heaven. Where is that? Well it uh, says the lion and the lamb will uh-huh. be in the field together hanging out, like they won't like the lion's not gonna attack. Wait. And people think that Adam, yeah, but there's Adam also, and Eve ate vegetables. There's no fried chicken in heaven. I don't think so. There's also there's no sex. There's no fried chicken. Maybe that hell place ain't so bad. I don't. <laughs> they also Joey, you want it to be annihilation. Maybe hell's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, they you actually get fried also chicken, you get. Steak. There's also a passage in Isaiah. I think it is where um, it says that we'll be drinking fine wine and the choicest meats. So there's actually been some theory that. Uh-oh. Well, I mean, it's it's not contradiction. It's not like well, right now, right now we have the ability. Is it already out? Like we can make meat without killing animals. I mean, we, true. I'm yep. sure we can do that now. Hey, did, yeah. I mean, speaking of ticks, did you guys know? Just last month, a uh, little girl died, suspected of a uh, tick bite. Mm-hmm. She got, um, I think, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, disease spread by ticks, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, she started with a fever of 101. That was. You know, at the hospital, and they tried to keep her hydrated and rested, and then it went up to 104, took her to a second hospital, more antibiotics. She ended up dying, and I mean, from a tick bite. So I always yeah, had to I'm really glad to you took my kind of lighthearted yeah. story about glad you brought it back ticks, to that. And, then, and then brought it back to child death. Yeah. yeah. Super good. Hey, let's just look up yeah. a bunch of child deaths for the next hour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, Google horrific child deaths, and then just read them to us. Well, it would probably be very good for the parents listening, man. Uh, Just to be Google I, secondary I, uh, drowning next, and then after that, it's <laughs> flesh-eating amoebas, and uh, I, what else? I felt like I had a Norm MacDonald moment today. I, I posted that on Facebook, and then our good friend Martha Davenport wrote, actually, in this, this lady's book, she wrote that she was in a concentration camp, and that in their room was a bunch of ticks, and that actually kept the, I guess it was the Nazis or whatever, out of her room. And so she was able to read her Bible, and even though they got bit a lot by the ticks, it kept them from getting beatings and being killed because the guards just didn't want to walk in there. And my thought was, what if God just didn't make Nazis? God was able to do a little something. He's able to send you a little something there. Yeah, like what if God just didn't do Nazis? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know the tick thing. Oh, beautiful story. This is. Maybe Nazis? less Nazis created or something. <laughs> how, about, I don't know. how about a few less Nazis, God? I, I get the tick thing you're doing. You're working a miracle with the ticks. A few less Nazis? <laughs> hey, I Matt, mean, good before, Lord. Uh, you, you stepped away to get something to drink, and Toby and I were talking about having this Sky guy on, I think a Sky Jethane. Sky guy. And so he's the co-host of the Phil Vischer podcast, Phil Vischer being... The creator of Veggie Tales mm-hmm. and <laughs> one of my kids' all time favorites. 
like we could really like this would be the first step in turning our podcast into like asshole podcast because Toby said, "Go yeah, ahead, what if go I, ahead, go what ahead if and I demonstrate just, what like you're going to do." What if I? So I what if I'm going to ask I, him about Veggie Tales? Yeah, I'm yeah, going to be yeah, Sky. Go for it. Yeah, nothing to do with Veggie Tales. I was like, hey, so where did where did the idea for Veggie Tales come from, Joey? You be uh, him. Um, it, yeah, that you're talking about Phil Vischer. He's my co-host. He's the one that he's the one that created Veggie. Oh Tales. yeah, That's yeah, yeah, me. yeah. But the like the the Netflix deal. I mean, that how much money was that, my friend? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You'll have to ask. Phil Vischer, he's he's the co-host. He created it. He created. Who did, what? What voice did you do? Like, did you, you had to change your voice at all to do like the tomato or whatever? That's crazy. <laughs> and then he shuts you down one more time. And then Toby, your last question is okay. Okay, so but more about you then. What's it like hanging out with Phil? <laughs> what does Phil like? <laughs> I think that like, happens to everybody that's around somebody famous. I guess they get that. He probably does actually get that all the time. You that's know what, what I mean? Toby like, always gets in interviews. Like, what's it like being in a band with Josh? I know. What is it like? <laughs> does Josh dance on the bus, too, like he does on stage? I get that all the time, so I don't know. Anyway, I think Sky's going to be really good. He's an author, and we're, we're just messing with him right now because he's got a lot of good stuff to say. And we might bust his balls a little bit, right? Matt, you're going to go after him, I think. No, I ain't Joey, going you're after gonna... nobody. Oh, okay. Just Joey. Pastor Joey has got a vendetta against Christianity. <laughs> he's selling somebody's here. hash in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you and I were we, were, we were talking about that. Toby and I had a long text message conversation matt that you never chimed into i'm always no curious point. what you're thinking no point no to point. chime in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but i, I basically a text exchange by y'all heat up <laughs> in the first four two or three back and forth and say okay this, this is going to go absolutely nowhere for the next 45 minutes and then i'll just look back and it'll say 126 missed notifications and zip all the way through it and you're in the same place you started at at the beginning of the text thread. so yeah, i just skip those <laughs> But my my thing was, so someone suggested that we catch up with New Spring, given that Perry's been gone for a while. They said, hey, you should just try to catch up with him on an interview. I retweeted and tagged New Spring. They actually did tweet back and say, yeah, get in touch with us and send us an email. And I said, hey, we should do that. And Toby's reservations was basically, well, what what do you think they're going to say that would be good for our podcast? And I just so said it's some church in South Carolina that is not going to answer anything. Like we asked them hard questions about Perry, their their recently uh refired pastor who had some stuff going on bad in his life. Uh they're not going to say anything real. I think they're going to be protective and any question that we ask them even if it's really tough, I think they're going to be able to word it really well and we'll go, "Okay, I, that's not my my biggest fear." Yeah, and so that conversation turned into is it okay for us then to go the route of no do you realize, like, like, let's just say they answered a question that was very, like, hey, so what have you learned about having so much of your church's success and growth and all that stuff based on someone's personality? Oh, we, we didn't feel that we did that. We actually had campus pastors teach sometimes, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, they give you three anecdotes about so-and-so stepped up, so now would it's it be, actually this, would it, and we've seen this, so. Yeah, would it be okay to respond and say, yeah, I don't really think that's the case. Everybody knows that, you know, for example, people that I know that went to New Spring, they never said, oh, I just love this church. They wear a t-shirt that says, I love my church, but then they always say, Perry is so awesome. Like, it's crazy to say this, but I mean, we've, 
have we worked ourselves into somewhat of a responsibility to do that because we're we're so we're so convicted and and we get so fired up about dodging answers and not being transparency and stuff so when we get in those sorts of conversations are we supposed to be super nice well it's not even about being nice it's just i don't even know if they like what they're going to say is yeah i mean what what would you have done i mean we had a dynamic speaker who was just killing it. Our church saw growth like none other in South Carolina. I mean, they were just massive doing all this stuff. And they'll say, I mean, the uh, even if they're super honest, it'll be in a way that is protective of their con- congregation, which they probably should be a little bit. And so I, my fear is just, I don't know, like asking tough questions doesn't mean getting a good answer or a helpful and answer. And it doesn't mean the answers aren't true, but that doesn't separate from right. being boring. And, it, and I can't just be an asshole. I, I don't want to be just a terrible yeah. asshole to yeah. get yeah. some answer. That's the yeah. only thing. You like, just, I mean, you, you can said, imagine hey. what they would say. Like, things are going yeah. good. We had this pastor. He did this. And a lot of people responded, well, we've seen this numbers here, this. We've seen this, that. And you go, okay, good. So, right, so let do? me let me bring this let me bring that doesn't this mean closer it's not true. It's just that it sounds boring. Let me bring this closer to home with you guys. It'll never happen, but Mark Driscoll comes on the podcast. You know he is going to give dynamic answers that are pretty much sealed tight. You can't really even respond, but y'all know better because y'all were there and y'all know people. Right. Well, that's that easy. Were, that so, wouldn't go the same way. That's easy. I know Mark. I can talk to him, and I can ask questions and say things from information that I know that shows you that that can expose that. Also, I think most well, of our talking to somebody in New Spring or somebody I don't know anything about, and everything's anything. fine. It's just it doesn't. There's nothing. To, I'm not trying to expose anything about there. There's nothing. I don't know. Whatever they tell me, I go okay, cool. Gotcha. So thank, yeah, well, glad, glad to hear things yeah. are going great for you. You know, that's fine. That's, I don't have any problem with that. Sounds boring. I is think, all yeah. Saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I, I, it sounds kind of boring. Like I just don't know. I I want it to be interesting to me, and then thus uh, it right. would be interesting to our yeah. listeners. And I and so Mark Driscoll would be interesting no matter what. Like it would just be insane because there's no way of getting that around. Be boring. Said so much stuff. Like mm-hmm. New Spring, I hope they do succeed. Yeah, good. I want them to do good. They might have had growth since Perry left. They might have. I mean, they'll have all kinds of solid answers that I don't want to. I can't bash them on. I think they it, might even be yeah. right about a lot of it. If they came to yeah. us and said we've been having a super difficult time and we'd love to come on and, and share about that struggle, then that'd be interesting. That's not because I want to throw it in people's faces or make them look bad. I got, that's not. It's not a goal, but that would be at least interesting or different. So that's yeah. that's what what I, that's the way I would look at that. Yeah. I, I actually, it went so long, Matt. It was like a hundred something back and forth between yeah. me and Joey that I was like, I know that it doesn't matter. I can't do anything. So I just changed. I was like, you know what, Joey, you're actually right. Let's just get them on. Let's <laughs> ask the tough questions. <laughs> so maybe we will. I mean, if you want to talk to them and they want to say something unbelievable, I, I would I would be interested. Like, I well, would if you like knew to some know- information that was counter to what they were right. telling you, then that'd be a difficult interview, but that would be reasonable. But I don't, I mean, well, I would even like to hear if they were being honest, like, man, that was devastating. We didn't know te- that Perry was doing this, and man, we did think that our church was built on one person. Here's how we're changing it. This is what we aren't going to do anymore because this is where yep. that would be. That would be interesting to hear yeah. a mega church say something like that. I just don't think they can. Yeah, it's a possibly good story. You need to investigate it farther before you just let somebody say, "Hey, we want to come on your podcast and say nice things in general, vaguely, and take up your time." That's all we don't yeah. want to do. That's the way I yeah. would look at it. That, there's plenty of people that want to come on and do that. That's not interesting. That's all. It's not bad. It's not mean. Doesn't mean it's a lie. Doesn't mean it's not true. It just sounds boring. All right. Yeah. Uh, what all y'all right. got? Can I say something. Well, yeah, I want ahead. to say something that's kind of been a lie in my life. And uh, okay, so 
for the last since I was 39, my whole life, but I've been specifically trying to be healthier since I was 39. Like a lot of our listeners will remember that I did this thing by the time I was 40 years old, I was going to be in the best shape of my life. And I was. I actually really got into the best shape of my life. Uh, and then uh, we moved. I got this crazy skin condition where they still haven't figured it out. And they I think I might have an autoimmune disease or something like that. Uh, and just all these things, life kind of got in the way. And so I really have kind of let my health and life decline a little bit. Like I'll try to do the keto diet and be on it for a little bit. And then it, I, I fade and then I, I allow myself to eat whatever. And then I don't, the big thing I don't have, I think, and I was talking to Jess, my wife about it, um, is discipline. Like I don't have discipline sometimes. And, I, and the reason why is because sometimes I feel like it's just me. And if I feel a certain way, I allow myself to be swayed or whatever. And so what I was thinking, I was like, man, I wish I could have like a personal trainer or something that could really like, but I just don't have the money for that. Well, I am so excited about our new sponsor because everything, this is a game changer. Beachbody On Demand. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Beachbody because I've done Beachbody in the past and it works. Here's what's really cool. Like I was saying, I've, I've kind of done this and that and I haven't had, but I never had Beachbody On Demand. This is a new product they're offering. But back in the day, I did P90X. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. I actually saw real results. And then once again, I let myself get away from it. I, I uh, changed computers, didn't put the beach body back on. I let myself each time I allow myself to kind of get away from something. And this is why beach body on demand is so awesome is because it's always with you. It's on the internet. It is so cool. Beach body on demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Plus extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. With step-by-step program guides, which I'm telling you is step-by-step. Workout calendars, get that discipline. I see my my week and my month ahead of me. Comprehensive nutrition plans, which is awesome because I am trying to eat a way that I want. Like I was doing keto and I was like, wait a minute, I want to be able to eat for example, watermelon. I want to be able to do this, this, and this. With their comprehensive nutrition plan, you can really make it work. However you want to eat intuitively, however you want to eat healthy, they have plans for that. An innovative portion control focused cooking show, Fixate, which is pretty cool. Uh, they show you how different ways to make healthy food. It's not that boring stuff that's bland and uninteresting. It's really good tasting food that is good for you. Uh, and the motivation and support of a growing community, which is what I need, Beachbody On Demand is the total package. And that's what I think is so awesome about Beachbody On Demand. It's always there for you. There's always trainers. There's always a plan. There's always a community to help you grow and really get to where you want. So my goal, and I'm going to use Beachbody On Demand to do it, I am 41 years old, and I have always been like, oh, if I can lose this much weight in this amount of time, or if I can do this, this, and this. Nope, I'm not putting any time limit on it. I want to get healthy. I want to eat right, and I want to just in the future see one ab that's all. I've never seen my abs in my entire life. I just want to see one of them. And I know that's what's so awesome. Having done P90X in the back, having done Insanity with some church dudes in the past, I know that it can work. And that's what's so cool about Beachbody on the Demand. It is there for me 24-7. That is what is so cool. I mean, it is amazing. Beachbody on Demand also allows flexibility, which I need because I'm on the road. I'm traveling with Emory. And you're able to design your workout from over 600 different workouts, over 100 recipe videos. I mean, what's not to love about this? It is amazing. This is a brand new service, but it already has over a million members. So what are you waiting for? Our listeners can claim a free trial. So free. Just try it out. Bad Christian listeners, just text. Hear me out. Text. 
bad Christian listeners, text bad the word bad Christian, all one word, no spaces. Bad Christian, all one word, no spaces to 303030. Text bad Christian to 303030 and get full access to this entire platform for free. And I'm going to be giving you guys updates about how I'm improving my health and getting better because I am getting older. I don't like this tire around my waist. And I know that this is such an awesome program. I love these trainers. I actually love Tony Horton. I think he's really awesome. And so I'm going to figure out which one I'm doing. I'll keep you guys updated to what I'm doing and how it's working in the future. But go there right now. Text bad Christian, all one word, 303030, and get full access to the entire platform for free. I just had to say that, guys. All right. Well, I tell you what, real quick, while you're exercising, you might as well stop putting junk in your body. We all want to eat better, but honestly, when it comes to snacks, it just feels like everything that's delicious is bad for you and has billions of uh, calories. Or it's boring and tasteless where uh, NatureBox at naturebox.com forward slash bad Christian, it's a game changer because not only does it taste really good, but it's also really, really good for you. Um, let, me give you some, let me give you some examples of my favorite before I tell you more about NatureBox. The coconut cashews, one of my favorites. The roasted uh, Peruvian corn kernels are unbelievable. The praline pumpkin seeds... You've got different jerkies that just came out. Um, there's some new jerkies, Country Archer Sweet Jalapeno, Country Archer Crushed Red Pepper. Uh, it's actually my favorite jerky is from Nature Box. So Nature Box basically has hundreds of snacks that act, are, are good for you, and they're made with high-quality, simple ingredients, which means no artificial colors, flavors, sweeteners, so you can feel good about what you eat. Uh, you're sure to find your new snack obsession at NatureBox because there's so much to choose from. They add new snacks every month inspired by real customer feedback, the latest food trends, and professional chefs. It's, it's so simple. Just go to NatureBox.com, choose the snacks you want, and NatureBox will deliver them right to your door. And there is no risk if you ever try a snack you don't like don't eat it. Nature Box will replace it for free. That's crazy. They just want you to be happy and healthy. So right now, you'll save even more. Nature Box is offering bad Christian fans three free snacks with your first order when you go to naturebox.com slash bad Christian. So that's naturebox.com slash bad Christian for three free snacks with your first order. Unbelievable. All right. Thank you, Joey. Now, after you work out and after you have your snacks... You know, the healthy part of your day, you get your life going good. At the end of the evening, I'll tell you what I like to do. I like to share a bottle of wine with my wife. Now, what I don't like to do is run out to the store to get it and get really confused about what they got and what's the difference in a this one and that one, Italian this and French that, and don't even mention the price points. I don't really know what I'm doing in the wine aisle, and that's why I like wink. So when you're ready to have a great glass of wine, it can really enhance the moment, whether you're reflecting on the day or with somebody you love. And Wink understands this. So they started their company to give you access to exceptional wines from around the world so you can have more of these moments. And the best thing about this is it it recommends and selects wines for your palate so you don't have to do the hard work and the research and spend a billion dollars trying different things and journaling about it. You take their quiz that they have uh, online, and you tell it your preferences, and Wink will even introduce you to new, rare, and custom wines that are not available anywhere else. And uh, they'll tell you the story behind each one. The best part is that they come to your house. 
And so you don't waste that time and go to the store and also come back with ice cream, which I tend to do. So great bottles of wine, custom selected for you and your loved one, loved ones. Uh, it's, it's, you know, your time is wasted going to the store and all that kind of stuff. So you got to give Wink a try. It's really, really good. You could join for free. You can skip any month. You can cancel any time and they have a hundred percent. Satisfaction guarantee. So you literally will never pay for a bottle of wine you don't like. So you get a bottle of wine you don't like, you let them know. They'll take care of it. So no reason not to check out Wink. And right now, Wink is offering our listeners $20 off their first order when you go try Wink.com slash badchristian. They'll even cover the cost of shipping. That's try Wink, and that's spelled T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash badchristian to get $20 off your first order now, plus complimentary shipping. Trywink.com slash bad Christian. All right. All right. All, all right, right, Sky. So you, uh, we ha- we're having you on the show. And for worry that we just have another Christian dude on our show talking about just general Christian stuff, I'm, I'm hoping you have something real crazy about you. Like, are you, uh, let's see, are you big on drug use or do you have an open marriage or anything cool like that? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> or are you just another Christian dude like the rest of us just trying to figure shit out? That's pretty accurate, yeah. <laughs> although, although my background is probably a bit more, um, uh, odd than you guys. So th- that's stranger for sure. But. Well, tell us about it. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, my father's an immigrant from India and my mother is a native of Chicago, but she's mostly of, uh, Norwegian and Swedish background. So I grew up in this incredibly weird, diverse home and, um, Grew up traveling all over the world and, and kind of had one foot in a, in a Baptist church because my mom raised us in that. But my dad, you know, is just thought as he would put it, organized religion as a load of bull. And, um, so growing up and traveling all over the world and seeing relatives in all different, I mean, I have relatives who are Hindus, who are Sikhs, who are atheists, who are Jewish, who are Catholic, who are, I mean, just everywhere across the spectrum. So I didn't grow up in this little evangelical bubble that mm-hmm. kind of inculcated me into that. And so as I travel and I'd experience all these different religious traditions and have this skeptical voice in my head from my dad, I'd come back as a teenager, for example, into the church and, and kind of realize, you know, this is really no different than what everyone else is doing. Um, and so I was never, I've never been enamored with the evangelical subculture and it, and I'm here not because it was a great, formative experience as a kid in fact it, it was kind of painful as a kid and, and the racism that my family experienced and some of the other chaos of the church and there were wonderful people too i don't want to paint it all as completely negative but it was not the formation of the evangelical subculture that led me to christ mm-hmm. what was that's that is oh go ahead i'm sorry that's a good question matt I thought you had to be born in the church to, to or, or get, oh, I know, you must have got a track somebody gave you one time. Yeah, in, in a truck stop bathroom. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those miraculous things. It was just actually graffiti on the, on the bathroom <laughs> stall. Um, right no, next I, to, like, right next to, like, a sketch of a penis. <laughs> it said, it said John 316. You're like, I'm going to look up that one. No, I mean, he, here's what I was going to say is, I'm 40 years old. I don't think I can ever, live in the context of zero christian culture it's just it's just who i am i am just the product so i 
I envy you. Like there's there's people that I guess became Christians later on in their lives and they don't have all the church baggage and all the preconceived notions and stuff that they were spoon fed. Like I cannot, I, I will never be able to rid myself of it. And so I feel like for, from this point on for the rest of my life, I will spend getting rid a little bit of a t- at a time. Um, but I don't know. I guess I just have to embrace that about myself. What What do you think that... So if you take you, for instance, and then just your stereotypical uh, Christian podcast that's, you know, trying to be a light of the world, like what's what's what makes you different given your background is unique? Well, I think what... What I've been able to do because of the diversity of my background is I can come in. I'm almost like a, a third culture kind of kid or, um, you know, people who travel a lot or navigate between different cultures. When they move into those different environments, they're able to see what's similar and what's different. So when I get into an evangelical subculture, I can kind of play the figure. I can get along with it. I can figure it out. I, I know the language. I can move in it. I, I can present myself as a native but at the same time, I'm able to point out, hey, you know that that stuff you do over here is really no different than what the Muslims do over there or what the Hindus do over here or what the Buddhists do over there. And you pride yourself on being different because you think you have exclusive rights on all things that are truth. But in fact, you're just doing what is basic human religion. You've just put an American Christian veneer on it. And that makes people uncomfortable at times, and I can point that out. Now, the upside is I can also point to underneath all those layers of American Christian veneer, we can get down to what is truly unique about the message of Jesus, which you've also abandoned in that subculture. So for me, that's the that's the bonus is uh, it helps you cut through all the crap and all the yeah, – so- so what does what does Sky do with Rob Bell? We we've actually been talking about this a lot, and and not picking on Rob, we like the guy, but he he's definitely one of those guys that a lot of Christians they say, hey, they've gone too far, or he's gone too far, he's not one of us. And then there's a lot of people that's almost like me. I would say I was one of those people, and now I've kind of circled back around, like, huh, wait a second, maybe some of the stuff he's saying is super helpful. What do you do with Rob and, Bell? And you actually interviewed him, right? You you yeah yeah. I have interviewed him. He actually, after the interview, invited me to come preach at Mars Hill. So I did that, too. And, um, you know, Rob is, like so many of us, there are aspects of what... First of all, I I respect his journey immensely. I think it's it's a story that is beneficial to a lot of us to map onto him, you know, similar experiences. There's a lot that I agree with him on. I love how he handles the... um, the origins of scripture and the importance of reading it through the lens of a, of a Jewish context. And but he's going to go to hell. <laughs> I even really appreciate his wrestling on the on you know eternal issues like that. I think right. they're really important. Now, do I agree a hundred percent with everything that he's advocating? No, I don't. But that I I don't agree with myself a hundred percent. So right you know, my own views have changed. And so I think it was some. Do you my- think? I'm sorry for keeping interrupting, but I want to camp out on this for a second. Do you think that he? is approaching the Bible as honestly and as humbly as he knows how. Yeah, I don't think he's being deceitful or manipulative or in any way... Or rebellious? Or rebe- I don't think so. I mean, I, yeah. there's, there's that instinct, and my mom likes to say I suffer from terminal uniqueness, so whatever you know the group is doing, I want to do the opposite, and sometimes we have those tendencies, and they're, they're not always healthy. Um, I am not completely in the same camp that Rob is on all that stuff, but... Right. I, I don't have to be. And yeah. I was talking to, I have a 
I don't want to name drop different things here that would be inappropriate, but um, just two days ago, I got a phone call from a pretty well-known figure who is um, an openly gay religious leader in our country. Is and- this Bob the Tomato? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's out of the closet yet. Or out of the <laughs> um, and besides, I always peg Larry as being the gay one. Um, <laughs> anyway, he, he called me up. We were catching up. And this is a guy who's openly gay, uh, married. He advocates for gay marriage as a Christian. And I, I disagree with him on that issue. I disagree on his theology of human sexuality and marriage. And yet, in all honesty, I think this man knows Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, we got to get to the place where um, we can have honest disagreements around theology or interpretation or doctrine or ecclesiology, whatever it might be, and not write someone off 100% because they don't follow every last thing that I do. So, uh, you know, it's a messy world and and it's messy relationships and people are a mess. And I think we just have to hold that loosely the way we expect God to hold us loosely. Yeah. Well, here's what I'd like to do. You sent t- tell everybody what your book is called that you sent us. Yeah, it's called What's Wrong with Religion? 9 Things No One Told You About Faith. So, here's what I would love to do and it'll it'll take us probably a good 20 minutes and we want to be respectful of your time. I want to send I want to say each chapter title and give you kind of roughly two minutes to give a snapshot on it because honestly, all of these chapter titles. So yeah, it's good math. Eighteen minutes plus your reading of the of the question. So we're going to run twenty minutes on this next question from Joey. Let's no, do it. seriously, yeah. because I'm I'm super interested in every single one of them. I mean, is is that well? Why don't we leave fair? it a, a little bit of mystery for the listener? How yeah. about we do top three <laughs> so we can talk about some other stuff? Maybe just because. I might have another question or two, man. I don't know if you may be prepared, but I actually have a few questions I wanted to ask him. (laughs) You guys pick three, Joey. It's your podcast. You guys tell me what you want to do. All right. So the 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 first one, the chapter one. Everyone is religious. What do you mean by that? What about the atheist? Yeah, they're religious too. I'm I'm basing that on um, the work of Paul Tillich, who was a more progressive liberal theologian back in the 60s, and he made the argument that every human being is religious because everyone has something of ultimate concern that defines their life and, and drives them forward. So, um, And why is that important to, to say everyone is religious? Like, is, is the, that- the, book, the book begins with, with Gandhi's famous quote about how all religious paths lead up the same mountain and they all converge at the top, so it really doesn't matter which path you take. And I argue that Gandhi got it perfectly backwards that rather than all the paths converging up the mountain, that you need to turn the mountain upside down, and actually all religion emerges from the same human experience. And every single one of us on this planet have had the experience that this is a dangerous and threatening world, including atheists. And we all react the same way, which is we become afraid, and like any organism that's threatened, we seek control through fight or flight. Now, the means that we seek for control looks different. And every human religion is just another means of control that's predicated in fear. Now, the atheist comes along and says, well, you guys are ridiculous for dropping a virgin down a volcano or or doing all these religious rituals to gain control. What you need is just the, the absolute certainty of science to gain control over the world. But it's still rooted in the same instinct, which is the world's dangerous, I'm afraid, and I need a system of control. That's religion. So every single human being is religious, whether they consider themselves that or not. We just have chosen different means of control. Yikes! Yeah, I, it's it's crazy because I've I've talked to atheists and uh, once or twice in my whole life, 
And basically, a lot of times they want to shrug that because it, it is, it's kind of, it's almost like their platform. No, I, there is no religion. I just don't care about any of it. And I don't think that you can prove any of that either. So yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting take. All right. So this sounds like some hippie frou-frou stuff. All you need is love. What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the very end of the book. So it's, you know, the argument builds to that point. Um, so uh, my argument is that it, it, uh, the way a lot of American evangelicalism or just religion in general operates is it's, it's predicated on a vision of the world as a fundamentally dangerous place, which makes you afraid. And so you seek control and popular evangelicalism says the way you get that control is you follow scripture perfectly, or you keep your morality in certain boundaries and you, you know, the, you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do, whatever, and the world will go the way you want because God's blessed you. But the whole problem with that is if you believe the world's a dangerous place and you are afraid, from that place of fear, it is truly impossible to love others. You can't love your enemy. You can't bless those who've cursed you. You can't forgive those who've wronged you. And that's a very quick diagnosis of what's fundamentally wrong with the American church is it's rooted in fear. Yeah. So the answer then is to overcome that fear and to truly be set free to love, you've, you've got to have your vision of the world transformed and truly believe that the world is not a dangerous place, but actually a perfectly safe place. See, you're, you're speaking Matt and Toby's language right now, and this is something that I always argue with them about. Isn't like when I was told about hell, I don't see that as a tactic to get me to follow God as much as if this place is true, you damn right you better be scared because you're going to burn there forever and ever. So why, if, if what we have been taught about hell is true, isn't that just scary in itself? And isn't that the, what, like one of the most important things is that we don't go isn't there? Isn't it right to be scared of scary things is the question there, right? Uh, it, it is right to be scared of scary things, but perfect love drives out all fear. And you know, your, the premise of your question is if what we've been taught about hell is true and I wouldn't, argue that it is. I think a lot of the popular mythology about hell and evangelicalism is untrue and unbiblical. Yeah. Um, I'm not a universalist to say that, but I don't think the, the, the idea of frightening people with eternal damnation is the primary model that Jesus uses to welcome people into his kingdom. Instead, the overwhelming message of Jesus is, in this world you will have much trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, and I am with you to the very end of the age. And Paul picks this up in Romans 8, you know, there is nothing in all of creation that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. So if you buy into that idea, and that's what the resurrection ultimately proves, that the world can throw the very worst it has at you, and yet God still wins. You know, he will raise you up again. And if you've come to truly believe the goodness of God and that he is ever with you and he will never let you go, then you are indeed perfectly safe, even in the midst of all the evil and darkness of this world. And once you're convinced of that safety, you are now liberated and set free to love. You don't have to operate from a posture of fear and self-preservation. So um, that last chapter, all you need is love, is is kind of rooted in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about the greatest is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And, you know, faith is not eternal. It won't last forever. Someday your faith will become sight, and hope only lasts as long as you don't have the thing you hope for. So love is the ultimate kind of goal of this whole story. And when I look, especially at the American church, you know, we have two postures. We either 
are afraid and we go on the attack and and like Peter with that sword when he lops off this, the guy's ear, we just flail around in our culture attacking whoever we think is against us. Or when we realize that doesn't work, we run away and retreat. It's that fight or flight mm-hmm. instinct into our little enclaves of safety where we can kind of do our own thing. And yet we're not called to either of those. We're called to actively love this world, including our enemies. And I think a lot of Christians simply don't have the capacity to do that because they're locked in fear. I think here uh, I was going to say add on to this like or or let me ask you this. So for me sometimes the hell uh argument is fear and then the love isn't explained well to me. Like for example, like when I hear when I hear people go, well it, then heaven will be about love and what what does that actually mean? Does that mean we'll all be hippies and we'll just be like there is no sarcasm or any, like is there like is there is love like it doesn't sound very fun or it doesn't sound very challenging. Like it just seems like okay, this is this is what we are. Like how does that like how do we present Christ when we talk about love? How do we present it in a way that is intriguing? That is like, whoa, that's something that I want to achieve and move into and still progress. Like, it, are you saying that's the end? Like, when we get to love, that's it, and and that's all well, there is? Or no, 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 not at all. In fact, I wrote a whole other book called Futureville that talks about you know what are we ultimately even eternally designed to do, which is not just sit around and sing kumbaya. But you know, two pieces here. Number one. I'd argue that God has constructed this universe in such a way that every person is going to get exactly what they want, ultimately. Seeking, even, even if it's not him? Yeah, but that's the it, yeah. problem. If it's not him, then you are desiring something less than life itself. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it's all kind of life, like the great divorce, the premise of that exactly. is similar, right? That's right. So um, on the flip side, if you, what you do desire is God, then in him are all these wonders and all these beauties and all this love. And, and the love of God is not... I have this little illustration in the book that has this love-o-meter, I call it. And you know, one part of the meter is sexual love, and it says, release the hormones. And then the middle of the meter says, sentimental love, release the butterflies. And then on the right side of the meter is divine love, and it says, unleash the hounds. So you know, divine love is a ferocious and terrifying things at times because it's not a love that lets you just sit around and pick daisies it's it's a transformative ferocious um life-changing kind of love and when you are moving in cooperation with it it's an amazing against it it'll destroy you so no i don't think we should have this kind of culturally bound sentimental view of divine love and again that's another blind spot for American evangelicalism is it has defined Christian faith and God's love in this highly sentimentalized way. You can yeah. see it in, in popular evangelical culture and the art that it creates. It's kind of disgusting because it's so sentimental. And that's not the kind of love you see in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the love's the you, worst word we have. I think it's just like the absolute most bastardized, ruined word in our language, pretty much. I mean, it's just used so much for so many different things. It's just very hard for it to... to to mean anything when you use it, but unfortunately, that's is something we have to try to deal with, conceptualize, and relay, and demonstrate, and all that. Do you, do you see this in the evangelical world? Like uh, I was going through some of your articles. I, I'm always uh, looking at Huffington Post for my own. Uh, I do a, a segment called the Damn News, but I saw. I think it's a little bit of an older one that you wrote about the mega church bubble bursting. 
Yeah, uh, you, you wrote an article about that, and I thought it was really interesting how you were talking about how the churches were meeting a need, and they were like where they were, and then like where they were like on the edge of town, and then there were people there, and then the age of the mega church, and that that that's going away. Do you see that? Like even with this new book that you're seeing, like how? What do you see like in the next few? Are are you concerned that the evangelical world's going away? Are we losing something with like? Is our churches, is mega churches, like I, I liked how you said uh, we went for consola, consolidation. Like churches just decided to consolidate and do the Walmart kind of thing, and that doesn't seem to be gonna like it's gonna last, will it? No, yeah. Well, you asked am I concerned that this is going away? I think it is going away, but no, I'm not really super concerned about it. Um, I do believe there is a, is a mega church bubble, and there's a lot of different factors that go into that. And <laughs> I've been asked to speak at some conferences that were basically four mega churches, and I mean, you could have heard a pin drop when I really? started sharing this stuff. <laughs> I don't want. There, there was one event. Um, it was kind of a trade show for all of the theatrical equipment that these mega churches purchased to put on their services. Yeah. And they asked me to come in and, and do a keynote on the future of the church, and so I did. And I was cited at various pieces of research from all kinds of different folks. And um, one of the things that struck me was, they, I think it was Barna that did some research among millennials asking them, what's helped you grow in your faith more than anything? And the number one response from millennials was prayer. And I said to this group, probably 1,500 megachurch pastors, I said, you know, the great thing about prayer is it's really cost effective. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I went through I, I went through all the research and on the future of the megachurch and basically said there's this bubble. And after I got done speaking, the director of this conference just tore me a new one. Um, we were one walking on down the well, we were walking down the hall of this convention center, and he's ripping me because he's like, you know, we brought you in to talk about the future of the church, but you basically undermine everything that this event is about. And I said, look, let's, I'm just showing you what's happening. This is what's occurring. As he's ripping me for this. A pastor came up to us and thanked me, saying that was the best keynote he's ever heard at this conference. So it was somewhat vindicating. But yeah, I, I mean, we could spend all day talking about the, the demographic shift. We can talk about the research about how Americans are losing trust in institutions, especially big institutions. I think that's a significant yeah, one. You know, for yeah. baby boomers, big institution, a large institution equaled legitimacy. And for Gen X and millennials and whatever's coming next, more and more they're finding that a large institution is associated with corruption. Mm -hmm. So when my parents looked at a megachurch, they would say, wow, look how this thing must be great. Everyone's Yeah, going. obviously God is moving. <laughs> right. And my generation, I'm 41, and those younger than me look at it and go, well, come on, you don't get that big by playing by the rules. Right. You know, there, there's something going on. And I'm not saying every megachurch is corrupt, but that... That's the popular perception of all mega institutions in our culture. So that's yeah. a strike against them. And then you got the suburban changes, right? Most of these churches grew in, in suburban growth edges of urban areas. Well, now you got young people with money who are opting to stay in the city rather than go out to the burbs. Marriage rates are down. Childbearing is down. All the things that the car ownership is down. All the things that led to the sociographic realities of the megachurch are changing. Um, and that doesn't even get into the religious demographics of our culture or the fact that the average age of a megachurch pastor today is in his 60s. And most of these churches reached mega status under the leadership of their founding pastor. What's the definition it, of mega? Do you have a, a, a numeric? Yeah, it's, it's 2,000 attenders 2000, per week okay. or more. And I think they now call 10,000 a week or more as gigachurch or something crazy <laughs> like that. <laughs> 
Terra Church, Peta Church coming up so, eventually. You know, in 1970, there were 10 megachurches in the United States. In 1980, there were around 50. By 1990, there were about 500, and I think today it's something like 1,500. So there's been this massive growth in megachurches, but almost all of those people leading those churches are in their 50s and 60s. And no That's crazy. One, I would have never guessed that because it seems like you have the stereotypical certain haircut, certain, you know, That's just the worship tattoos. team. <laughs> well, no, I think it's because the marketplace loves young, and so they right. highlight the, the handful right. of really young yeah. mega leaders and on the make website. a ton of money off. Right. So most of them are in their 50s and 60s, and no one knows how to really successfully transition these institutions to Generation 2. And you look at what happened at the Crystal Cathedral in California, yeah. Robert Schuler's church, right? You know, it went, it went under because they couldn't yeah. figure out that transition. And so I think in the next 10, 20 years, you're going to see some of these figure out how to transition well. Some of them are going to totally collapse. Some of them are going to be, um, a shell of their former glory. Some of them are going to become these family run generational institutions and some will do just fine. But I don't think that the underlying dynamics that led to the megachurch phenomenon in the United States has legs long term. Mm-hmm. Did they have you, were they necessary any, for a season? Do I think they were necessary? Yeah, do you feel like they were necessary to serve that demographic for a season? Well, I, I don't know how necessary they I don't know how necessary anything is for God's mission. I mean, you know, I have a friend, he's actually a megachurch pastor in Minnesota who likes to remind me that in the Old Testament, God spoke through an ass, but now he does it every Sunday. Like, he can use anyone or anything to yeah. accomplish what he's going to do. So, yeah, God has used the megachurch. I'm not saying he had to. Yeah. Um, and just because God uses something doesn't mean that thing is inherently good. It just right. means God used it. Um, do you think uh, – I was going to ask you this question, too. Matt has, has said this, and it's kind of challenged my thoughts, too. Do you think that these churches, in order to maintain their congregation stuff, will just become more progressive? Like, they'll just, they'll change, like, their, their – not I guess, maybe their theology a little bit or whatever, but do you think they'll just become more culturally relevant, and that's how they'll try to maintain it, as opposed to get rid of the big building and do become more like a, a Jesus-style you know, style method? Do you, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, my guess is that you'll see all kinds of different approaches. But yeah, some of them are so married to the ABCs of ministry, and by that I mean attendance, buildings, and cash, that they will subtly adjust in any way necessary to keep uh, to keep those things. Let me give you an example. I mean, this is a little bit okay. a little bit off the direct topic, but um, if you guys remember when President Obama was reelected in 2012. There was a big flap because he had invited or his team had invited Louis Giglio to give a prayer mm-hmm. at the inauguration. Yeah. And then some LGBT activists found a sermon he'd preached 20 years earlier taking a conservative view of, of uh, sexuality and they all went crazy. And so he, Giglio got disinvited. Um, I was somewhat connected to folks around the White House when that was all going on. I was going to get the inside scoop. And what I found really intriguing about it was how – Louis Giglio became, you know, this target, but nobody objected when Cardinal Dolan, the, the Roman Catholic cardinal from New York, did the opening prayer at the Democratic Convention. And his views on marriage and sexuality are just as conservative as Louis Giglio's. Yeah. So why do the evangelical pastor, but they give a pass to the Roman Catholic? So I talked to a friend of mine who's an LGBT activist. I said, what's, you know, what's the deal here? And he said, look, 
The problem with you evangelicals is you have, for a few generations now, decided that relevancy is going to be central to your brand. And so you've adjusted the way you worship. You've adjusted your music. You've adjusted your buildings. You've adjusted... You've, you've accommodated on every cultural front. You, you didn't object to no-fault divorce when those laws were being passed in the 60s and 70s. You know, you have accommodated left, right, and center on everything, but now you're refusing to accommodate on gay marriage, and so our interpretation is it's because you're bigots. Whereas the Roman Catholics just started using English in their mass a few decades ago. <laughs> you know, they've adjusted on almost nothing. I mean, their standard on, on, contraception, abortion, marriage, all divorce, all that is still the way it's always been. Not, not, not that every Catholic follows that, but the official teaching of the church is still there. So when a Catholic bishop has a conservative view on gay marriage, the LGBT community goes, yeah, well, they're Catholic. Of course they do. But when an evangelical holds to a conservative view, it's seen as, well, they're just refusing to accommodate because they'll give on everything. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I've never heard that, but that does make a well. Lot that's of sense. probably because, and you kind of see, don't you see that with the probably the millennials or the younger generation of Christians headed back to mainline Christian churches, right? Because they 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 value the tradition a little bit. You think, right? Yeah, I do. I think um, you know the, our culture is just moving so rapidly, not just morally but technologically, and a lot of people are looking for an oasis, a break from that. And and tradition and liturgy and, and the old symbolism, I think, gives them that sense of grounding. Um, so anyway, back to the point, I, I think there is something in the DNA of American evangelicalism that so desperately wants to be relevant and measures that relevance through popularity that for some folks, they will absolutely accommodate where the culture is going. So one last story on this. I was in Washington, D.C., off-the-record meeting between religious leaders and LGBT leaders um, before the gay marriage thing was kind of settled. And there was a guy there, a conservative evangelical guy, who was really fighting like super aggressively in the room against some of the LGBT activists. And afterwards, he and I went to Chipotle to, to grab a meal. And I went to just like, dude, you need to take a pill and calm down a little bit because you were getting so heated. And weren't helping us out at all in any of this stuff. And, and I said, why are you so aggressive on this? Because he tends to be a pretty mellow character. And he, he admitted to me over dinner, he said, look, here's what's going to happen. At some point, evangelical institutions are going to have to make a decision between accommodating to gay marriage or losing their tax-exempt status. And he said, I, I, he said, I know evangelicals well enough that they are going to fold like a deck of cards on – their theology yeah, of marriage in order in order to keep their tax exempt status, and he said, "I'm fighting aggressively now because I don't want us to have to face that decision because I know how it's going to go." And I said, "Hold on, time out. So you're telling me you are willing to demonize LGBT activists who wanted to meet with us with an olive branch to figure out a solution? You're willing to demonize them and paint them unfairly because you don't trust your own evangelical brothers and sisters to hold to their convictions?" And he basically said, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what that's it comes right. down to. I agree. So, you know, that it is, um, if you read, uh, Frances Fitzgerald's new book, The Evangelicals, I think she does a pretty good job of painting the history of the American evangelical movement from a historic point of view and shows how deeply rooted it is in capitalism and anti-communism and the marketplace. And, 
you can't ignore those factors in the current environment we're in. And when the marketplace starts punishing Christians for holding to their convictions, a lot of them are going to fold. Not everybody, but a lot of them will. And I think that realization is what's frightening a lot of evangelical leaders, and they don't want to have to get to that place. Scott, I wanted to ask you too. We'll get. I know we're running a little bit out of time here, but your book. Uh, we're talking to Scott Jathani, and his book's called his new book's called "What's Wrong with Religion." Is this for everybody? It sounds like this book's not just for evangelicals, right? It, it, no, it's not for, at all. In fact, I have neighbors who live a couple doors down from me who are Muslim, and and they're reading it right now. So, it's for everyone. And and this book, just uh, I know Joey was going through the chapters, and we didn't. We, we didn't got get seven more to go, so we'll be done in an hour and a half. <laughs> but but just a, a quick just just before we we, we leave you, you, the the question that you raise is what's wrong with religion, and are you what what's the goal behind this book? Like what do you, what do you want people to walk away from after they read it? Well, I think there's there's kind of two people are coming at it from two different directions. There's those who were raised in a religious tradition or maybe especially in American evangelicalism who are deeply disillusioned with it. And then there are those who are coming from a more secular point of view who who've got a stereotypical uh vision of religion as inherently ridiculous and uh, and unnecessary. And what the book is trying to do is bring people from both those sides to a place of understanding what is genuinely problematic about religion, but what core truth is it trying to address in our lives that we can't ignore anymore? And at the end of the day, I mean, I am a Christian. I am absolutely committed to Jesus and his message. What I'm trying to advocate for in this book is when you cut through all the crap and look at what Jesus actually taught, his message does deliver us from the problems of both human religion and human non-religion and offers us this other way of living that can bring flourishing and harmony and and goodness to both those who follow him and even those who don't follow him but are touched by those who do yeah sky uh last question why are you such a big uh trump supporter <laughs> yeah <laughs> Good no uh y'all y'all need to that was a complete joke by the way so don't uh don't run away from skyjathani.com and uh, you got a book called The Voting Booth, A New Vision for Christian Engagement in a Postmodern Culture, How Churches Became uh, Cruise Ships. So all sorts of books to check out, and uh, like Amazon, all the places where you can get them, and then skyjathani.com, which is J-A-T-H-A-N-I, correct? J-E. J-E. Oh, that's said. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Yep. So spell that again, Matt. <laughs> No, I, I don't know how to spell. I just know there's not an A there. There's an E. J E T H A N I. Sky with a sky with an E. Yeah, yeah actually, I, too. Y E. It's it's a tough name. Yeah, we'll have it in our show notes. That's S K Y E J E T H A N I dot com. Go get this book, man. This uh, you made some observations that I've never heard before, and it was uh, super helpful. Thanks for yeah, coming I, on. Yeah, I actually I, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm excited to read it because I love asking that question. Like the system, where you like, I, I like how you said human religion. Like that is uh, that's a just a great descriptor of uh, or a great starting point, rather maybe even of just where uh, religion maybe even has gone wrong and, and the processes we use to try and explain our God and figure out our faith and stuff like that and and how that can lead us so 
uh, off the wrong path, onto the wrong path, rather. So, well, I hope anyway. I hope you enjoy it because the book has got a lot of illustrations and pictures. It's not a typical oh, two hundred page. It's 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 actually kind of uh, whimsical, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, it's definitely written for a different kind of audience. It's not your typical two hundred page Christian you know book that is a flash in the pan and ends up at some garage sale the next week. So it's a different kind of feel and dynamic and i'm hoping it appeals to people who would normally never pick up this kind of book excellent yeah, well, what, I, what i've read so far is also kind of funny too there's some, you have a good sense of humor as well in some certain parts so um all right cool thank you sky we really do appreciate yeah, it yeah check out the phil visser podcast that you co-host which i yep. believe joey's going to be on am i correct i don't know when that'll be but uh phil visser yep. podcast you'd spend a lot of time with him on that and that seems like it's doing really well and i believe joey's going to be on it sky thank you for being on the show today we'll talk to you soon thank you guys appreciate it you got Thanks, it man. Okie dokie. Very right. good. Joey, do you want to go through the seven other chapters of uh, your 20-minute your plan? Hey, I'd love to with you guys. <laughs> so uh, hey, That was a joke. I know. Dear God. <laughs> Dear God. Did you want us to do that with, uh, with your book? No. Yeah, that's, that's what he must have wanted with his book the whole time. Now I you wanted it. us to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, so, chapter 292, seven. chapter one. <laughs> Let's break that down into ten sections. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you something. I, I'll tell you something about my personality, and you guys have have. There's picked not up much on this, you're going to tell us about your personality that we don't know. Or that well, you have let good me try. Of. Let me try articulating it. So, as a school teacher for five years, I've been obsessed with keeping things like interesting, keeping things popping, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Sky obviously was a great guest. We talked about things that that's super interesting to our audience. But when we haven't built like a rapport quick enough and I feel like things are, are slow and dull, I scramble. And I seriously yes. thought maybe the best thing to do is to shake things up a bit, make a stupid suggestion, but do it. Like I was totally engaged in, hey, we're going to go because I really did think these chapter titles are good. Like, let's talk right. about every single one of them. So I was not joking, but I also knew it was a very insane thing to propose, but I was ready to do it. Well, you know, I think that's when you're, when you're doing that, you're speaking a little bit from insecurity, like worried about something. But all you got to really do is pick one thing and engage deeply would have been my suggestion there. Like when we got onto no, the I, one thing is good, it's like, well, this is good. No, yeah. yeah I, no, he's very interesting. Yeah, he's I thought great. it was great. Like, I really enjoyed it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just read a few of his articles, and I thought it was really good. And, like, how much information he had about the megachurch and, mm-hmm. and the ideas behind that, some of the numbers, and then some of the stories about the Washington stuff, like Obama and those stuff. I thought that was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I think, so, you were just worried, it, just in case you were going to be prepared if it went south or something like that. Is that what you were saying? No, like, I didn't think it was going to go south. I just thought, okay, how are we? Well, I, here, here's the irony. We're talking about this, but it worked. Like it, it worked for our show. It was kind of goofy. It allowed us all to play into our personalities because that wasn't a fake suggestion. And even though we didn't go that route, it definitely worked because we could go back to it. But no, I, I just, uh, I definitely, I feel like I'm oversensitive to something not being super exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a flaw. Which, that's what I'm because, it's a little insecure. Just chill. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I, there, there's I would, been I would times say most because, of our interviews aren't exciting, but I thought it was very yeah. interesting. Oh, I thought that interview was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I thought we talked about great things, but there's definitely been times when I've come come away from a podcast 
And I thought to myself, oh, that was just so dull and boring. And Like which ones? Everybody loves <laughs> it. <laughs> everybody loves it. Uh, be transparent. Who? Which interview did yeah, you Who did hate? you think was super shitty? Yeah, who guess? did you like, think was piece of shit? Let's rattle off some super awful. shitty guests that you hated. List like four or five. Uh, four or five. Lecrae. Uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave Bazan. That's you, You're uh, the happiest I've ever seen you during the Lecrae one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and man. Dave Bazan. Oh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I, I wonder if Dave Bazan will ever come back on. I kind of Yeah, I he, said, he, does, he texted but. me the other day and said he would. Really? Sweet. Well, we'll see him. At, maybe we could get him at audio feed. He'll well, be there we're going to be there the same day, but hopefully he'll be there Damn the day it. we're there. I think, you know, we'll see. So we're okay. not going to be there for his set either? Uh, I don't think so. I think we have a gig Dang. that night in Chicago. I hate y'all's band. Well, you can stay. Yeah, you can stay and get the interview if you want. Yeah. You'd love that. I thought I was going to fly into Detroit. That's the I'm day just before. saying it on air. You're not going to stay. We're not going to see him. You never see people say, oh, we'll catch up with you at the festival. You never do. I'm just pretending on air. It's not real. Uh-oh, this, this is going down. Joey, on the back of your book, uh, on the back of your book cover on Fundamentalist, what was, what, let's read, there was four paragraphs on the back of Fundamentalist. Uh, I want to go through each one. I'm going to give you two minutes for each paragraph on the back. And the first paragraph on the back of your book, Fundamentalist, there's a stigma attached to mental illness. What did you mean? Go in two minutes. Let's go through all the recommendations you got from people about your book, all the endorsements. Let's go through that next podcast. Now, Joey, oh, on the back that's... cover of your book, Fundamentalist, there's a UPC code with the number 900. Why did you start that zero, with a nine? Two minutes. You got two minutes. Why did you start with the nine? Because well, I like the nine the to thin me. little, you know, when I look at the barcode, I like the thick, thicker black lines to be on the left side. I, and I just don't understand why you chose that. Go ahead. Talk about that for a while. Uh, well, I want to get back to the nine. The nine to me represents three trinities, like three sets of trinities, mm-hmm. and it's just like a good reminder. Trinity, trinity, trinity. Very but good. But yeah, pe- people can go to the fundamentalistpastor.com or fundamentalistpastor.com and buy the hottest book that's ever hit the Christian bookstores, except they're not in the Christian bookstores. bookstores. Did y'all know when I worked at Christian bookstores, people literally stole bibles off the shelf like we could not keep the bibles on the wall we had to you know just like not putting both shoes you had to keep one in the back we had to keep the bibles in the back and the boxes that the bibles came in could be in the front because people stole bibles why do you suppose that is uh i think because it was just like well it's god's word i have to have it i don't have the money it's justified because they're not going to give it to me there's no chance that they just returned it and got the money Right, it just um, seems like like maybe they sold it, went to a different store, and said, "Hey, I, I didn't need this Bible, and got the money back." Well, that's you, true. Bibles you are actually, really expensive. You actually really have that much hope in people that they would steal, so that they could learn about our Savior Jesus Christ, who tells them and commands them not to steal, or they will go to hell. <laughs> well, I would yeah. say that there's probably something going on there where you feel like you you have an impunity when stealing a Bible because I I just don't think there's a lot of prosecutions there, like. You know, you get called at the front door by the security guard, and you just tell him what you needed the word. You were thirsty, and you saw. Th- How you many know? Bibles can you steal in one you're sitting? Not going, you're not, not going to prosecute for that. Like Joey, when you work when you work there, if somebody was walking out with ten Bibles, were you going uh uh-uh. uh? Like, would you have stopped them at ten? If they walked out with one, you wouldn't have cared. Yeah, yeah. Would you, that's would cool. you Bible beat them? Uh, yeah, I would. I had a manager at Family Christian Stores I just could not stand. Could not stand him. And I don't name? even think 
Uh, I think I remember it, but I'm certainly not going to go <laughs> on the air with it. Um, but he had really nasty, like, cigarette, also just really bad breath. But he, he had a horrible, horrible work ethic. And one thing, I don't know if it was a pet peeve of mine or what, but when people asked if we carried a certain thing, he would always say, oh, I don't think I have that. And he, he didn't even own the place. He was like a assistant manager. And I was just like, the audacity to use that pronoun, this store does not belong to you. But I couldn't stand oh, it. Oh, that's, yeah, people do, that's a big ego thing. You try to, all, I try not to do it. I do it sometimes. We talk about my this on state. We use the singular possessive for something that's not really what that is. Oh, it's yeah. That people, oh, this is my stage or, uh, you know, whatever that is. But it's, it's annoying. Uh, my store. What kind yeah. of loser nerd were you to worry about your boss's work ethic when you were a teenager? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, you are all, I would have hated working with you. Your boss has, your boss has a bad work work ethic and you were like oh i need to work harder what kind of nerd were you oh good uh, god do i even have to ask you do you remember our first exchange (laughs) you're a goody two-shoes all right well hey thank you guys for supporting this podcast many of you do that by listening and then some of you guys open up your purses your paypal account or however you like to give wallets and uh some of you that have just joined the bcclub.com that's jeremiah lee mike casey dickerson lucas clearly cameron a elston solomon Campos, hunter hines and david kroll thank y'all very much for joining the bc club lots of good dialogues and discussions going on on the Facebook page. Very cool community. You guys are going to be getting some awesome record releases. I'm sure y'all are enjoying lowercase noises. So good thing to be a part of, but we know most of it is to support us. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Anything else, guys? Uh, no, I, people say we don't say the Bible enough. So I just, would y'all mind if I ended the Bible a lot? Bible. We don't, we don't quote the Bible. We don't do Bible verses enough. I didn't know. Do y'all care if we, we do all the time? It's just usually in a joking way at the end of the podcast. No, I want to do a serious one. Okay, though. is that okay? Yeah, let's be serious. I can be serious uh, for a minute. All right, here we go. Uh, this comes from Judges nineteen twenty five through twenty eight. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and they and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door for, of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen at the doorway. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on a donkey and set out for home. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.